if you're always sacrificing church for sports, there's a problem there. And even if it's like this, you know, 50-50 relationship, there's a problem there. Welcome to Christ and Culture, the podcast of the L. Russ Bush Center for Faith and Culture at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Here we'll explore how the Christian faith intersects all avenues of today's culture through conversations with leading thinkers. Welcome to the conversation. Hey everyone, I'm Nathaniel Williams, the editor and content manager here at the L. Russ Bush Center for Faith and Culture. In today's episode of Christ and Culture, we'll continue our series called Sports Month. Dr. Quinn and I will talk with Jeremy Treat and Cody Evans about faith and sports, including some pressing questions about what do we do when church and travel ball conflict. It's a very important conversation. I think you'll enjoy it. After that, we'll have another edition of our segment called On My Bookshelf. But first, it's time for our segment called Headlines, in which we look at some aspect of the headlines, like news, sports, pop culture, or business, from a Christian perspective. And in today's edition of Headlines, our own Megan Dickerson will talk with Alexandra Davison about Lint and a new resource that you're going to want to take advantage of. Joining us today to discuss Lint is Alexandra Davison. Alexandra is the Director of Culture Care, RDU. She studied theology, imagination, and the arts at the University of St. Andrews in Scotland, as well as apologetics at our very own Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary right here in North Carolina. She's a docent at the North Carolina Museum of Art, where she leads public and private tours. Alexandra, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. For those of us who didn't grow up in liturgical churches, can you tell us what is Lent? I didn't grow up in a liturgical church either. It was actually really rare for, for quite a bit to even um, practice communion. I think it was like every couple of months it felt like that or quarterly. So it's just going uh, over the years, learning more and more about ancient traditions. So basically Lent is the period following Advent, Christmas, and Epiphany and what it is typically explained as the 40 days when Jesus was in the wilderness. So Lent this year started February 22nd, and that's Ash Wednesday, and it finishes the day before Easter Sunday. And so it's technically 40 days, but if you add the Sundays, it's 46. But we look at Lent as that for Sundays, they don't count because that's a divine disruption. The glory of Easter, the resurrection. And so the idea is that a lot of people give up certain things, not necessarily bad vices or things, but just whatever it might be distracting or a way for you to be intentional to refocus your attention to the work and life of Christ and what he's calling you to do in your own work and your own life as well. So passion, when we think about uh, for Lent, it's this idea of willing to suffer. And so many people have heard, of course, of the passion, but passion, it's not a joyful excitement. Are you passionate about sports or something? But it's a willingness to suffer for something, even to the point of death. So the idea of Lent, actually the word meaning has its origin in springtime. So in order after winter, you have spring, but you have to go through that winter. So it's actually a revitalization. So that's the idea in history of Lent. 
Because of your background and love for the arts, you've created a visual meditation tour of art uh, for Lint. So tell us about that. Why did you do that? How did you come up with your idea? And how can it help us to reflect and worship during the season of Lent? As shared, I have done private tours. I've done that for churches. I've done that for pastors, um, a way to think about engaging Christ and culture. And so I was approached by a church that is going through a work called Entering the Passion by Amy Jo Levine. And they just wanted to look more at some Holy Week and engaging that specifically with art. And so what I did is I created for them a week of Ash Wednesday. And so they can have a t- one tour a week because there are six weeks in Lent. So it goes through the entry into Jerusalem, the ideas of what expectations do people have. And you're just following that kind of outline of the book that they actually went through or are going through at this time, Entering the Passion. And you look at Jesus's teachings, you look at the first dinner, and you look at the Garden of Gethsemane. And so what I did is I chose a selection of works that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Typically, when we think about Lent, we're going to focus a lot like typical stations of the cross. They're going to have a lot of crucifixion images. Mm. Um, But this whole idea of Lent is... Where is it that I need to die to old ideas and old ways? And so always remembering the reason why Jesus came is so that we can have life and God's desire for his holiness and justice. And so where is it that I'm not a personally showing areas of holiness and a commitment to God's justice, both personally and corporately? And how does that make sense in my family, in my community? in my church and, you know, my country. So I have many different artists and the majority of them, I would assume that they're not Christian, but I believe uh, Leon Kask uh, has said that artists are prophets of the eyes. So they're presenting different ideas, really, really deep intentional ideas about what is their vision of life or what is the question. And so for me, as someone really interested in apologetics and engaging people from all different religions, perspectives, walks of life. I think it's important to be able to understand stories and enter into them because that's what Christ did. And he was willing to suffer to that point to actually listen and lean into those areas of brokenness. And so it's not simple images of what you would expect. That sounds wonderful. Where can our listeners find that? Yes. Uh, if you go to my website, culturecare.rdu, it's just the word culture, care, C-A-R-E, rdu.com. And I've posted under my latest blog, introduction and the PDF. Now, what I did is a recording for all the images. So as individuals, either at home, you don't have to be in North Carolina, you don't have to be in Raleigh or Durham. <laughs> So you just print off this PDF and throughout Lent, you can even listen to one of the, you just use your your phone and you scan the QR code and it will give you, some of them are a couple of minutes. Sometimes it's a whole introduction to the ideas and the themes and the way of engaging these works to make it really personal and to ask God to show you what he's asking you to do. What is it to give up or to lean into? So 
it's pretty simple, very straightforward. Print off the PDF and you can either go into the North Carolina Museum of Art and find all of these images. And I have it labeled their locations, prayers, scriptures attached to it. So it can be really personal and it's great because you can just go in by yourself or you can go in with family member, a non-believer. I've had many, many interesting experiences with non-believers going through God in the gallery type talk tours. I don't make any religious claims at all in the museum when I'm serving as a docent, but on private tours, I definitely have the rights as an individual to do all that. So art has so much to, to offer as far as engaging culture and conversations and storytelling. So it's all there in the PDF. Alexandra, thank you so much for sharing and, and your work in this. And we will definitely link to, to your website and to that guide um, in our show notes. Great. Thank you so much, Megan. How should Christian parents navigate their kids' sports? A few questions are more challenging for today's parents as they try to balance sports with church and family and everything else. Here to discuss this important question are two special guests. First, Jeremy Treat is pastor for Preaching and Vision at Reality LA in Los Angeles, California, and he's the adjunct professor of theology at Biola University. He's the author of Seek First, How the Kingdom of God Changes Everything, and The Crucified King, Atonement and Kingdom in Biblical and Systematic Theology. He and his wife, Tiffany, have four daughters. Also here to discuss with us is our own Cody Evans. He's pastor at Covenant Hope Church in Wake Forest, North Carolina. He's also the assistant director for prison programs at Southeastern Seminary. He and his wife, Ashley, have two children. Jeremy, Cody, thank you both for joining us today. Absolutely. Thanks, Nathaniel. Yeah, great to be here. Okay, uh, let's start with this, some foundational questions. Jeremy, how would you define sports and or competition? Like, what is that? We talk about it all the time, but what actually is it? Yeah, so I, I would say, I mean, think about this as a Christian from the Bible, that I think you have play as a starting place. So if you get into Genesis 1 and 2, what you see is God putting Adam and Eve in the garden and inviting them to develop and delight in his creation. So I think there's this instinct that God has given us to play. And then if you take play, which I would say play is like creatively enjoying something for its own intrinsic good. And if you take play and then you add uh, competition and some rules to it, then you have sport. And so, you know, you can, you can play a game, but when you have rules, here are the boundaries. And then you add, there's a contest involved in it. Then you've got sport there. So one of the, one of the key things with that, I think, is competition. And it's, a, it's, a, it's something for Christians that's a little bit difficult to understand sometimes because, you know, if I'm, if I'm playing Cody in football and he's my brother in Christ, can I, can I tackle him, right? Can I take him down? Um, is, that, is that okay to do? But I always, it's helpful for me to think about the word competition uh, comes from two Latin words that means striving together. So, you know, if, if me and Cody are playing against each other, we're agreeing to a game where we're, our competing is we're striving together, making each other better in that. So I think that rivalry isn't necessarily the heart of competition. Cooperation is. And so I think that's that's important to acknowledge that there is like a healthy version of competition. But that's, that's how I would de um, define sport. I don't think, you know, if you look at the Bible, it doesn't talk about sports explicitly in that sense, at least not in like Genesis, 
But I do think that you have something that develops into that where we can say sports are a good part of God's design for creation. Cody, what would you add to that? I love the striving together piece. It keeps it neighbor focused. Oftentimes we're struggling about, you know, we grow up, if you're an athlete, you grow up in this, this area of like, you have to beat, you have to be the best, beat everybody. And, and we flip uh, what competition really is. Uh, sin can do that to us for sure. But I think striving together is really good. I, I found a, a quote from Simon Sinek. He said that our best competitors reveal our weaknesses. And he said the goal is not to beat our competition, but rather to improve ourselves, which I think is helpful. I probably would combine both the Latin and uh, Simon's phrase and say something like we strive together to both better ourselves and our uh, competition. So both growing together with our neighbor, which keeps it uh, focused on our neighbor. And oftentimes it's going to relieve the selfishness that comes, this comparison. It's going to relieve uh, the, the desire to just be better than somebody else. It's also going to be uh, others focused and you're striving uh, and competing towards something, not just I'm going to be better than you, but I'm going to, we're both going to be better in the end. That's probably how I would define competition. Jeremy, I was in a talk with uh, listening to Frank Reich, and he talked about dominion from Genesis 1. Have you done any work on Genesis 1 and seeing, he talked about how dominion is this idea of us not play, but this way to unearth treasure. That was kind of how he talked about it. And so when we compete, coach, play, we're unearthing these treasures. Have you come across anything like that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that the, I mean, the cultural mandate, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. That subdue and take dominion is like this responsible stewardship of it. But I think it, like I talk about it in terms of delight or, or you get to play because People read Genesis 1 and 2, and, and God says, don't eat from the one tree, and everyone focuses on that. And what they miss is God places Adam and Eve in a garden of delights, and he tells them, enjoy. And then he says, but that one tree, don't, uh, don't eat from that tree. So we, we focus so much on the prohibition of the one tree that we miss the invitation to all of the delights. So I think that dominion, stewardship involves creativity. I mean, we're made in the image of the creator. So creativity, we're developing his creation, we're drawing out of it. So yeah, I mean, you give two kids an apple and you know, if, if they're not gonna eat it, it's not long before they're tossing it back and forth with one another, right? You, kids make games out of everything. So I think there's something there, uh, both in our instincts and the way that we're wired, but what you see in Genesis 1 and 2 that's really important for understanding this. So that's interesting. You guys are kind of rooting sports, in a sense, there in the creational design, which is something I probably would not have thought of. How, how might the gospel shape our competition? You, can, you kind of hit on this a little bit, but flesh that a little bit for us. How might the gospel uh, shape and transform our competition? Well, for me, so I'm, I'm a really competitive person, man. I'm like, I'm the person you don't want to play board games with. Cause I just like, I get super into it. And my kids are always like, chill out, dad. You know, like I'm just really competitive, but I had this realization. I don't know. I was probably 24, 25 years old. And I had this realization that what drives a lot of my competitiveness is pride. And man, I'm like, I'm competitive. I'm a hard worker. And even growing up playing sports, like I was the first person in the gym, the last person to leave. I was going to outwork everyone. Like I had that mentality, but I was able to look back on it and recognize 
so much was driven by pride. Like I wanted to be better than other people or show that I was better than other people. And so I, I think the question that presented itself to me when I realized that a lot of my competition was driven by pride was, is there something that can motivate me? Because pride's a strong motivator. And that's where I think playing for the glory of God is a stronger motivator than anything. But I think in terms of like, how does the gospel shape our competition? It's, I can be competitive. And I, you know, you think about like Romans 12, Paul says, outdo one another in showing honor. So I, I think there's a sense, there, there's, there's a healthy sense of competition. But I've got I've to gotta let the gospel like uproot my pride and give me a better motivator when I'm playing against someone. And that kind of goes back to what Cody was talking about earlier, that kind of healthy understanding of competition, that like, that like, you know, bird and magic or like Steph and LeBron, like playing, like they know that the other person's going to bring the best out of them. And, and you want to play it, you know, you want to be a good steward. You want to play at a level of excellence. So for me, it's being able to recognize how pride often does play a role in competition and being able to see how the gospel uproots that and gives me a greater motivation in what I'm playing for. I think the biggest thing the gospel does is it takes the focus off of us and it places it on God, like Jeremy's talking about, that I'm going to give God glory and all that I'm doing. I'm able to worship now and do something, which takes the pressure off of standing out in a way that's receiving accolades. And it focuses uh, my love both to God and to neighbor and not back on myself. I think that's what the gospel does. And, uh, but we know coming back to that Simon Sinek quote, like I, I can think of guys that I've played against that would bring the best out of me, that I would compete extremely well with against because I knew how good they were. Uh, but there are also times where in losing, competition is like a pressure cooker. And so whatever's in our hearts are going to come out at that point. And a lot of times losing would then boil out into me is I wanted people to know that I hate losing. So which then would cause me to act in negative ways, sinful ways. And so what the gospel does is it reigns that in and it says, no, no, I don't have to worry about what you think. And I don't have to worry about what the results are. I'm competing as worship to be able to love my neighbor and honor the Lord in all that I'm doing. So I think shape the gospel shapes us that way and helps us understand and gives a different mindset. And that's, I'm still not there. I don't know about you, Jeremy, but get out and play and uh, still. And I struggle to have that mindset all the time or just be super passive. One of the two. And so finding the balance is really hard. But I think it's a sanctification process as we're learning to be shaped by the gospel in our competition. Jeremy, when it comes to sports, I'd love to have a longer conversation with you, even about the formative nature of sports. So sports forms individuals, it forms teams, it forms communities and cultures. But it can also malform, right? It can not only it can form towards virtue, it can form away from virtue. And I, there's probably multiple parts to this that we can get into. But one of the questions is when it comes to travel ball and how that affects our congregations today, um, how that affects the the kids that are involved, the decisions that parents make. Talk to me a little bit about how is travel ball? Where are places that it may be forming virtuously? Where are places that it may be malforming? I might not be the best person to speak into like the travel ball culture because I'm in, I'm in LA where I'm in a very urban context where so like, I feel like that's such a suburban sports kind of complex thing, but I, I'm tracking with you hundred percent on what you're talking about, especially the idea of sports and spiritual formation. 
Mm. Um, I mean, I think of, you know, Paul says in first Timothy four, that physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. Right. So he's actually affirming physical training and then making this connection to spiritual training as well. And I think, I think it's a help, a really helpful way to help kids, teens, uh, athletes understand that the discipline that we apply physically, that we can think about that uh, spiritually as well. I mean, my, I always remember my high school basketball coach saying that practice doesn't make perfect. It makes permanent, right? Mm. Whatever you're doing over and over and over again, that starts to settle in. We, you learn that if you shoot with bad form, if you shoot a basketball the same way over and over again with bad form, then that's just how you get used to shooting. Well, if you respond with um, pride and anger, anytime somebody tries to talk to you and you do that over and over again, then you just become a prideful and angry person. Uh, my kids and I were just watching this uh, Chris Hemsworth thing on Disney. It's called Limitless. It's this new show. And he's kind of doing all these like physical feats. And they have this one part where they're talking about the brain. And he steps back and says, I've spent my entire life focusing on physical health. And I'm just realizing that I haven't, I haven't focused at all on the health of my brain. And it was a powerful statement. I think how much is that is could you say the same thing about the soul? Mm. Like how many, how many people focus so much on their physical health and yet don't think about the health of their soul? So I, th- I think there's a lot of connections there in ways that sports can model and be a part of conversations of formation in general and spiritual formation. But then there's a whole dark side to that um, as well. I mean, you mentioned you know ways that it can malform us. I would just say overall, I I think sports can expose idolatry. Um, So the way I often frame it is some people dismiss sports merely as a game, but other people worship sports nearly as a God. And I mean, that was true for me growing up that, man, my identity, my community, my joy in life, like everything hung on success in sports. And so I, I think some of the ways that with that travel ball culture is it just shows how idolatrous it can be that mm. everything takes a backseat to, to that. And man, if, when you get to that place in life, whether you're a 13 year old kid playing football or a 40 year old person, you know, working as a CEO, when you get to that point of holding that thing up, that if I just had this and I'll sacrifice anything else for that. That's what the Bible calls an idol. And you're looking to that thing in place of God for something that only God can give you. So let me, let me kind of rifle a few questions here. Feel free to feel free to answer them as, as briefly or as long as you like. Um, first of all, I'm a dad. I got multiple kids. We're trying to, I mean, we're trying to give them every opportunity that we can for sports. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of making this up. I mean, I am a dad with kids doing sports, but I'm just, I'm just crafting a narrative here. Right. These are the conversations that we've all had, especially those of us who kind of are in that suburban travel ball scenario. Uh, and these are the people who are in our church. So I want my kids to have every opportunity, you know, if they can. And so, um, you know, for this season of life, for these few years, you know, if they're playing on Sunday, I'm going to make sure that we're going to places where they do a devotion at the ball field. And I feel like that that's OK. How do you answer that person? What do you what do you say to them? I don't want to be legalistic about saying you can never miss a a Sunday church gathering. I think, I think there's times where it's reasonable to miss a a church gathering, but I think that you've got to have principles and convictions that you really live by. And 
and where the sacrifices aren't just going one way. If you're always sacrificing church for sports, there's a problem there. And even if it's like this, you know, 50-50 relationship, there's a problem there. I feel like in, in a lot of contexts, there's ways that, man, if, if you're a part of a team and there's lots of games going on, you know, you want to be there. There's ways to make that work where you can still be really anchored in the church and committed. And I mean, a lot of churches have multiple services or there's, you know, all of that. But I I think there's got to be a place to draw the line and say, I'm, I'm not doing it. I mean, I, I think about when I was in my sophomore year of high school um, playing basketball and we were we had this thing on Sunday night for church. And it was one of those deals where like the youth get to lead the service. And I was going to be involved in that as like a you know 16 year old kid. And our coach on like Thursday got really mad at practice and said, you guys aren't doing this. We're having practice Sunday night. And I immediately like, Oh no, like I have this thing Sunday night and here I am like, you know, a sophomore, like on the cusp of JV and varsity and I go to my coach and I say, Hey, I, I I've planned on this thing at church for a couple of months. Like we never have practices on Sunday nights. Um, this is really important to me. My coach looked me back in the eye and said, if you miss practice, you will not play varsity at this school. That was his response. Mm. And, um, and I skipped it. And I mean, I talked through it with my parents and like, we, we talked about that and I skipped it and, he put me on the sophomore team for a game. And after that, I was back up on varsity. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it was, but that was one of those times for me where it was like, okay, it would have been really easy to do this. And I, I think we've got to teach our kids that there's places to draw the line. Um, yeah. And, and if, if you're not willing to make those kind of sacrifices, then you just get sucked in deeper and deeper and, yeah. and you've got nothing left to stand on. Well, I love your language of, um, if the sacrifice is only one way and it's a better way of saying something that I've, I've been thinking for a while is why is it that church is what always gets the shaft? Why does, as much as I love sports, why does sports never get the shaft? <laughs> and I think we do need to, we do need to see that our, our convictions and principles need to, and need to push, need to push the right way at different times. So uh, next, next question, Jeremy, you've already led into this a little bit, but if you could talk to 16 year old Jeremy, and with all that you have, all the sort of pastoral and, and even biblical theological awareness that you have at this stage in life, seeing your own idolatry, perhaps a little more clearly in the rearview mirror, but also seeing the beauty and benefit of sport and team. What would you uh, what would you say to 16 year old Jeremy to do differently in relation to sports? I would say I would I, I know exactly what I'd say. I would say God cares about basketball <laughs> and and, and you can, you can actually glorify God through that part of your life. I think for me, it was like growing up, I felt such a tension between, okay, I love God and I love basketball. And, and there's like this, I don't know how they meet. And everything that I learned in church told me that God doesn't care about that because mm. it's, it's not spiritual and and what I learned growing up, and I think the way still most people think about sports is God cares about it if you use it for spiritual means, right? Mm -hmm. If you can use basketball as a way of evangelizing, or if you can win the game and thank God afterwards and use the platform, um, then God will care about it. And that's where, I mean, going back to like the theology of this, I think that play and sports 
don't just have instrumental value of what they can mm-hmm. do, but they have intrinsic mm-hmm. value. Like yeah. there's something beautiful about when I go out in the backyard and shoot hoops with my kids or when they do gymnastics yeah. and and we're just playing, you know, like, so I think for me, it felt like this competition. And I, re- I even remember being in college, playing college basketball and thinking I'm spending like eight hours a day on basketball, like practice, weights, film, like you know, all of that. And then I read my Bible, maybe five minutes and go mm-hmm. to chapel a few times a week. And, but I remember like, like comparing those things and being like, how could I even, like, I'm not going to read my Bible for eight hours. I'm not going to, and I wish I could have recognized in that, that, that there's, there's a calling in that, like a vocation in the same yeah, way that there's yeah, a of jobs that God cares about it. And he wants me to be a good steward and he wants me to be light and salt in that space. And, um, be faithful with what I've been entrusted to. So I think that's, that's what it would be for me is helping see how those two worlds come together. Hmm. What would you say? And I want to pivot to Cody here too, and kind of ask both of you guys, because Cody, I know you've been involved with a lot of coaching as well as playing, but more recently in coaching, even rec league, and uh, you're not even coaching your own kids yet. You're just doing more community service type, uh, just being involved in people's lives. What, what would you say to, to coaches right now, somebody listening, a dad or a guy who's just volunteering who wants to integrate faith and basketball or faith and soccer or football or baseball or whatever the case is, and just needs some concrete, practical how to, how do I do this? Cody, what would you say? And then Jeremy, I'd love to hear from you too. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, the, the approach has to be that this is meaningful, right? That when we come to this, these people matter, these families matter, these kids matter. And what we do matters, right? We're not just coming here to, to just throw a ball out. I've been to many gyms in my lifetime where coaches just throw a ball out and they do whatever they want to. And that's not helpful. If that's the kind of coaching we're talking about, please don't do that. Uh, but if you want to come in and love on those kids and uh, help them grow, teach them things that are going to help them be better people, uh, teach them truths about the world, uh, what you can do through sports, that's going to be instrumental in their lives and valuable even after. And a lot of these kids, if you're coaching at the rec level, these kids aren't going to play pro sports. And I've had the opportunity to coach at the AAU level, and I've not coached one kid yet. There may be one out of 10 years of coaching, one maybe that has the opportunity to go really high D1 potential in pro sports. That's one out of hundreds of kids. And I don't even know that if he's going to make that. I mean, he's still in high school. So, like, I have no idea if he's actually even going to make that. And so if we take the perspective off of that and say, how can I help love these kids? And I think, too, um, I try to build relationships with with families, especially. So Rick was harder for this for me. I I don't know, maybe because of my kids aren't the same age. And so it's a little harder to get in. But it was much easier uh, in AAU because we would go to a tournament. We'd go out to eat. We'd hang out, get to talk life, get to talk different things. And so it was easier for me to connect with the parents because that's really where I wanted to be was I'm loving on the kids. I love coaching them, but I really want to connect with the parents because I want to know who they are and what they're doing, why they're doing this, and then hopefully be able to engage them uh, on a spiritual conversation or just be able to encourage them. Uh, Not that every, like Jeremy said, not that every conversation got to a spiritual conversation. Now they, they found pretty early that I was a pastor in the area, which they kind of knew me coming in. This is what I was doing, but it was more to love them. And so able to, to do that, I would say, be prepared, find ways to love these kids, 
find ways to encourage them, and then find ways to connect with their parents. Those would be four things I'd probably say to, to try to do if you're going to start coaching at the rec level or any level. Jeremy, what would you add to that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think coaching is such an incredible opportunity. I mean, a lot of kids don't have an adult authority figure in their life that they really believe cares about them. And what an incredible opportunity to do that, you know, and I, I think sports are like a microcosm for life. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. when, you know, when I was in sixth grade and got cut from the team, um, my world was in, like, that was the end of the world for me. Like, it's the worst possible thing. I was depressed or, you know, I can look back on that and kind of laugh at it now, but man, when you're in sixth grade and that's your life, like it's a big deal. So to learn how to deal with loss and failure and to get back up when you get knocked down and um, teamwork, all these kind of things. It's just a really powerful opportunity to be able to, to pour into kids. So I, I think it's an incredible thing that, that hopefully a lot of Christians take advantage of. Yeah. Yeah. And to speak uh, Dr. Quinn about like some of this opportunity for malformation or formation, I was coaching a rec game in town. An assistant coach pushes the referee in the game and I immediately grabbed my players grab our team and I can't I, I think we won I can't remember I, I don't remember but it was pretty close in the game but what I did as a coach in that moment was I told my players we're not going to respond out of anger mm. um, you can't do that in life like you can't just do that to anybody in life and then I got the parents together and I said hey parents just so you know that was unacceptable well we, we're not going to respond in those ways uh, I want your boys to to be able to control their emotions, work through their emotions and, and compete, but we're not going to respond in these ways. So there's opportunities to take that. And some of the parents could have been mad at me or frustrated if how I did that. But I, I really try to gather our whole, because I never did that. I grabbed everybody around and said, hey, let's take this as a teaching moment. Hopefully you don't have those many times where you're actually going to have to do something like that. But there are ways for coaches to even speak into situations that are, are really negative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and so so true. To kind of add what both you guys said, and Cody, you were especially um, hitting on this that the opportunities for, and I'm, I'm just speaking as a man who's coached more boys than girls. Although I've coached some girls basketball teams, my daughter's team, and what have you, but the opportunity to form young men and young women um, in, into better human beings, and this is where I've tried to, even in my own rec league experience here, just tried to. Be, be straightforward with parents. Hey, look, you just need to know I'm a pastor and I'm a seminary professor. I'm not here to try to proselytize your kids. I am here to watch them not only become better baseball players, but I want to see them become better men. And, you know, I've, I've actually never had a parent argue with me about any of that. And and the, the two things, camping and coaching, camping in public parks and coaching over the last five to 10 years have yielded more fruit for the gospel than anything else that our family has done. And, and I pray that more and more men and women who are involved in coaching kind of opportunities will see that as not mere, to your point, Jeremy, not mere instrument, uh, It's but also seeing the intrinsic value of you watch these people learn how to lose, learn how to win, learn how to conduct themselves, learn how to be part of the team. And that's the, that's the beauty, it seems to me, or at least among the many beauties of sport and especially seeing um, the beauty of Christ amidst all of that. Guys, how can how can people follow your work? Um, Cody, Jeremy, Cody, I know you're a pastor in the Youngsville, North Carolina area. How can people know about who you are and what you're doing at your church? And then, Jeremy, if you'll follow up on that as well. Yeah, so Covenant Hope Church is the church I'm at. Anything that we that I would be a part of would be on there. I, I've written for the center 
uh, for faith and culture. That's probably going to be the, the two avenues at this point and uh, keep, keep watching uh, on those two platforms. For me, uh, our church is Reality LA. So, you know, I'm, I'm preaching there, realityla.com, lots of resources there. And then otherwise, just the, some of the books that I've written or I'm on social media, Twitter, Instagram. Um, so yeah, people can find me on there and things that I'm working on. Jeremy, I'd love to hear, what, what are you working on right now? What, what do you have on the writing desk and what are you thinking about? I'm just finishing up um, a book on, on the cross and so with Crossway. And so I'm really excited about that. I think the cross is one of the most important uh, things and often overlooked now. And then, and then I'm thinking about what to do next. I've, I've got a book on, on like, like faith and sports in there that I want to, I've, I've been wanting to do for a long time. So that might be next. We'll see, but I, I want to get around to that eventually. I did write an article that's, that's a basic overview of like my understanding of a theology of sport. And so that's called more than a game and it's available online um, that if anyone wants to dig a little deeper theologically, there's that. I want to underscore that, that, that article more than a game, Cody, you and I now have been talking about faith and sports for several years. And that article was probably the greatest stimulus for much of our conversation and all the different directions that it can go. So um, Nathaniel, let's, if we can, can we, can we link to that in the show notes here? Make sure people are aware of that. Guys, thank you so much for your time. I can't thank you enough and hope that this is just the beginning of more conversations. Yeah, for sure. It's great to meet you guys. Thanks for the work that you're doing. And now it's time for our segment called On My Bookshelf the part of the show where professors at Southeastern share what they're reading right now. Today we have with us our own Dr. Ken Keithley. So, Dr. Keithley, what's on your bookshelf right now? On my bookshelf this week is a rather unusual book, but I think it's one that Christians ought to pay attention to. It's a book by Will Summer called Trust the Plan. It is an account of the rise of QAnon and how many people believed all that was being claimed by this secretive, mysterious person named Q. So why should Christians read this book? It's, well, for one thing, according to one survey, as many as 27% of evangelical Christians at one time said that they believed some are all of the QAnon conspiracy theory. What was the QAnon conspiracy theory? It was the theory that... Uh, Hillary Clinton and the Democratic Party were covering up for a cabal of Satan-worshipping, blood-drinking pedophiles. Well, there are all kinds of scandals and crazy things going on in the world today, but that's pretty much a fantasy, and it was demonstrably debunked. And yet multitudes of evangelical Christians believed the QAnon conspiracy. So I think that it's a book worth our time to understand why it is that we tend to believe certain things and are skeptical of other things. Uh, It's very insightful. Uh, The author, Will Summer, writes sympathetically. Uh, He's balanced. I think it's a book worth your time. Thank you, Dr. Keithley, for that recommendation. And thank you all for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, go ahead and give us a five-star rating 
brief review on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on. It goes a long way to helping us spread the word about the Christ and Culture podcast, and you can also share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.